To answer is human. To question is divine. Welcome to the world of the Hidden Gateway, an exhilarating podcast exploring the concepts humans have been struggling with since the dawn of existence, such as, who are we? Is there such a thing as good and evil, or are they arbitrary constructs? Does the paranormal exist? How can we evolve to a higher state? Can our mind influence what we term as reality? Providing a transcendental approach, combined with hard-nosed humanistic analysis, we invite you on a journey to question your worldview in this theater of life. Join our host, Justin Williams, as he explores the outer realms of faith, the supernatural, human potential, and even our concepts of the universal creator with a fascinating array of guests. This is the unseen world, magical, mysterious, and mystical, where your only limitation is your imagination. This is The Hidden Gateway. All right, welcome to another episode of The Hidden Gateway Podcast. I am your host, Justin Williams, and today's guest is Dr. W. Keith Campbell. Keith is a social psychologist known for his research on narcissism and is a professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Georgia. He is also an author, and today we'll be discussing his book, The New Science of Narcissism. Keith, what's up, man? How you doing today? Hey, uh, great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, man. Thank you for being with us today. So, uh, you know, this is this is really a, a treat. Obviously, the, the topic of discussion today will be narcissism. Uh, before we hit record, you know, I, I told you that I've been uh, learning a lot about narcissism over the past year or so. But uh, before we get on that, man, um, I've been uh, checking your, your website out and in your Twitter and saw you were at a, a football game. Georgia, yeah. huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm at University of Georgia. I'm, I'm right down the street from the uh, from the stadium. It's great. Yeah. Nice, man. That's that's yeah. cool. So you, you guys, what, 2-0? Two, two oh? I think I saw you, you got uh, who Vanderbilt this week, right? Yep. Uh, and last last game was South Carolina. I'm I'm terrible. I just like going. I just like the energy. I don't know anything yeah. about it. I just show up and I, I and it feels like it's 2019. There's no coronavirus in Georgia's. <laughs> George's <laughs> Coliseum. Everybody's high five, and it, it feels it feels good. All right, man. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a great atmosphere down there, man. That's the SEC, man. Good stuff. Yeah. But uh, hey, if you could just take a few minutes, man, and just just tell the listeners who you are and, and a little bit about about yourself. You know what you're all about. Sure. Uh, my name's uh, Keith Campbell. I'm a professor at the at the University of Georgia. I'm a social personality psychologist. That that means I do research. I'm I do research and think about things. I'm not a clinical psychologist. And uh, most of my research has been on ego, self, how we work, and a big part of that is narcissism, which is how come we end up with these inflated selves, and how the individuals with very inflated selves end up kind of changing the world around us. So that's what I do. That's what you do. Now, w- with narcissism, what is narcissism? What, what, what's your definition of narcissism? It's it's a little bit complicated. You know, the simple idea is, is somebody with an inflated or grandiose sense of themselves. They think they, they're better than they are. Um, 
but there's a couple different forms. Uh, what most people are familiar with is grandiose narcissism, which is this this combination of sort of a sense of entitlement, a sense of self-importance, but also a sense of drive and energy and extroversion and sometimes charisma and charm. So, so these more grandiose for, folks often end up in politics or you know um, the media or other places where that kind of you know likable personality uh, is is desirable and then there's this other phase to narcissism this more vulnerable side which are folks that are sort of self-important but also a little bit uh fragile they're a little bit mistrusting uh they think everybody's out to get them a little bit and so they they they're like i'm a great person but no one sees how great i am the world doesn't understand me and they end up being depressed so they're called mm -hmm. vulnerable narcissists so there's two different faces, which makes it confusing. And then the third thing is there's a clinical disorder called narcissistic personality disorder, which is relatively uncommon. About you know one or two percent of the population has it, but it's a very extreme form of narcissism that starts damaging your life, like significantly. Mm -hmm. So so those three things can be called narcissism, but they're all different faces of narcissism. I see. And, you know, one of my questions for you was I was going to ask you to rate those, but it sounds like that last one that you that you uh, that you mentioned is is the worst. And you said that that's dangerous. That's where it can, you know, start affecting your life. Um, I want to I want to ask you in, in what type of ways is this where people begin to uh, uh, maybe lose their job, families break up, uh, suicides, yeah. all types of stuff. huh? Yeah, exactly. So so usually when you, you start looking for problems with with personality here's what happens so you can be a little bit narcissistic maybe you're you know you're a performer and you're doing a performance you get a little bit full of yourself and you kind of got some hype but but you come home and you're like relaxed and you're with your friends and you're normal you're with your wife and you're like just a normal person again that's fine that's actually pretty adaptive it's healthy our personality changes a little bit hmm. what happens if you get stuck so your ego is the most important thing whether you're on the stage or with your kids or at home or with your grandma and it starts to interfere with your life so a big part of it is inflexible personality like it's extreme it doesn't flex and then it starts to break down and is in areas you said which are love and work typically you find either your relationships get damaged you have a big ego you start to take advantage of your partner don't pay, pay attention of him or her etc or in the workplace you end up being kind of a jerk driving people crazy or becoming a really bad leader and, you know, doing some damage. So, so it can I interfere in different ways. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I've obviously done a little bit of research myself and I've seen some studies that, that indicate there has been a rise in narcissism over the past couple of decades or so. Is this accurate? Yeah. So, um, Gene Twangy and I actually wrote a book called The Narcissism Epidemic, and it's been about 10 years ago when we saw this huge rise in cultural narcissism. And this this was like the height of the Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian years. And, mm. and that was when we saw it really peak into about the Great Recession. Okay. And when that happened, we've seen a change where some of the grandiosity, especially in young men, has dropped. You just don't see it as much. Uh, you, you see it, um, and a lot of that's because job prospects, et cetera, went away. So there's been some dampening of that trend. 
And what we see more is this vulnerability, people that are kind of self-centered, but they're not really, they're not like showing off, but they're more attention seeking in other ways. Like I'm the, you know, I'm the biggest victim or look at how, how caring I am or different. They're just doing it in different ways now than they were, you know, back in the Paris Hilton years. <laughs> so what causes it? Is it, does it start as, as, as a youth? Is it due to neglect? Um, or, or someone not being loved, receiving yeah, attention, it's, or it's really it, it's a mix of things. So with, with narcissism, and this is true with a lot of personality, is a lot of it is genetics. About 50, 60 okay. percent, we'd say, are, are genetics. It just comes from your parents, and there's not like a single gene. It's a whole lot of genes, and we don't. I won't even pretend we understand it because we don't. But there's but there's something going on there. So that's a big piece of it. Most of who you are is just kind of how you're wired. Right. And then this, the second piece that's important is what they call non-shared environment. So this is almost like kind of random things in your life. Who you end up hanging out with, you end up with one group of kids or another group of kids. Um, other things like that. Just what happens. The final piece, and this is more like 20%, it's not as big as you think, is that parenting piece. Mm. And that goes a couple ways. And I think it's, you know, one way, like you suggested, is trauma or abuse or something more cold or negative parenting. And that parenting style is more commonly seen in vulnerable narcissists. So they end up having the more kind of abusive backgrounds. With grandiosity, what you see are parents who were more permissive, let the kid get away with anything, maybe put the kid on a pedestal, told the kid they were special, inflated them. So there's a little different route to each of those forms of narcissism. And of course, what's possible is you can have a childhood where you're raised to be special and also traumatized. So you can get people who have this sort of grandiosity, but also have some really vulnerability as well. Okay. I was going to ask you about that. Could it be like a mix? So it sounds like, yeah, there are people out there like that. And it just seems to be, you know, just everywhere. What are we looking at? What do you think? As far as we're talking about 25% of the population here in the the United States, 50%. It's hard to know where to draw the line, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. Um, People who are narcissistic have egos, and part of that is wanting attention to reinforce who they are. So imagine in my fantasy life, I'm like, I'm the best psychologist in the world. Well, if I want to believe that, I got to go on social media and start branding myself as America's number one psychologist and getting a bunch of followers. And I'll do that by putting down people or, you know, sucking up to people or doing whatever I do to build my brand. And a lot of people start doing that. And so when you and I look at the world, and by the way, everybody has to build a brand now. It's just the nature of life. (laughs) None of us us asked for it. You know, this is just just how much you really like. Just the thing is, some people are real excited about it. You know, and some people Uh are like, God, it sounds awful. Um, But the the thing is, when when we go on social media and look around, what we see is a whole lot of narcissism because mm. because those people are overrepresented. They have more followers, they have more friends, they're more connected, they're presenting wow. more. So we see the world as sort of being surrounded by 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 narcissists. Um 
and it's it's not that bad. It, it, we are, but there's also a lot of really nice people out there. They're just not out there doing things. The, the other thing with narcissism is it's you see it in politics and you see it oh, in media. Yeah. You see it. You see it in the church. You see it in spiritual traditions with these sort of with people with big followings. You know these sort of yeah. Yes, sir. So, yes, so sir. people who are narcissistic will go to these different areas to seek status and power. And so we're basically ruled by narcissistic individuals. That's just how it works. Is there any hope for narcissists? Are, are they able to to be healed? Or uh, I don't even know if healed is the correct word to use. But <laughs> I mean, it's, from what I, really, what I. It's a really interesting word when you said it. Hmm. Um. Yeah, it so what what we used to think is that well you're you're narcissistic, you're kind of stuck with who you are. And it turns out that's not the case. It turns out that people are able to change their personality. I've talked to lots of people who say there's a narcissist in my life, he or she is driving me crazy, I want to change them. I've talked to a few people who've said, you know, I'm really narcissistic. It's costing me problems in my life. It's damaging my relationships, and I really want to change. Hmm. And what you find is that people who are narcissistic and also who want to change are able to do that. You know, just really? like anybody else, the real challenge is getting people into some sort of therapy or some sort of, you know, other program of, of changing who they are. But but there's potential there much more than we used to think. We're just finding that it's possible. Right. So you, you mentioned that the person or, or maybe two people that, that you spoke with and said, oh, they, they, they accepted it. And they said, yes, I, I am a narcissist. You know, I, I do want to change. It's affecting my, my family. I mean, is that is that I, I, don't, I wouldn't think that's common, right? No, it, it's not. <laughs> Let me say this. It's not common for people to contact me, but when we do studies on hundreds of people, it's a it's a common theme. It's that they say, you know, I'm kind of a you know, I'm kind of a jerk, and that that hurts my relationships that I care about. Yeah, you know, the world is weird now because money's kind of free. Like you can kind of come up with a story and go get a million bucks and make some leverage and you can fool people and you'll pull it off. It's just a crazy time. So the way you get status is you have like a loving family and like you, you can't buy that. Right. So right. these guys that are narcissistic, you know, you, you look at you look at Bill Gates. I'm like, what a loser. I can't even keep his family around. You know, he's got to date people in his company that he controls because he's that much of a of a of a incompetence, incompetent socially. Um, oh. So. You know what I'm saying? So guys are, you know, and, and guys say like, geez, I, I kind of look like I'm not good. And yeah, so there's, yeah. there's a demand now, and I don't think it was there before, but now that money's free, having a fan, it's like being in shape is the same kind of thing, you know, being physically fit. Like he, this guy's uh -huh. can't buy it. Look at Bill Gates. You're physically fit. I'm like, well, this person's conscientious. They're hardworking. They've got some discipline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um. So it's an interesting time, but I do think there's some awareness, and I think I think people get narcissistic, and there's a cost to it, and they, that that trade off gets heavier as you get old. Oh, that's an interesting comment. 
Okay. Now, what's the best way to deal with narcissism? From what I've read and seen, people always recommend just to run the other way. I mean, not everyone can do that, right? Yeah. yeah, Not everyone's prepared to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you're dating somebody and they're, they, you see a lot of narcissism there and you get some warning vibes. I'm like, just get out. It's just not worth it. Right. You see those red flags early. Yeah. I see them early, get out. It's just not worth it. But what happens in life and it happens is you, you end up and you're married and you got a kid with somebody and you're like, God, I just, this person was sort of charming when we were young. And it turns out they're just kind of, kind of full of themselves and, mm-hmm. um, you know, paying attention to their own life and not pitching in with the kid. And they're kind of, a, you know, absent and all those things you think about, or maybe they're, you know, being unfaithful or cheating or whatever. I mean, it can be worse, a lot worse, believe me. Um, that's when you sort of go, do I want to try to intervene? Because I want to keep my marriage. And in that case, you know, the, the, the easiest thing is you just try with some therapy or try some way like that. But what I suggest to people is you're like, if my spouse is really narcissistic, is you don't say you're just narcissistic, you know, because that's kind of sounds bad. What you say is, you know, you're great. You do all this great stuff. Really love you. But you just it would be even better if you spent time with the kids. I think it would be great for them. It'd be great for you. You know, everybody would look up to you and, you know, you kind of, you kind of spin it a little differently because you don't want to get up a bunch of defensiveness. Um, But if you're in bad shape and you've got a, if you're, if you're in a relationship with somebody that's somewhat scary before you confront anybody, get some protection, talk to friends, get a support network. And that support network might include a lawyer. It might include legal, you know, if it's dark, protect yourself and your kids first now what about in the workplace i know in your book chapter eight leadership and narcissism uh, to me it seems like that's on the rise as well right i've actually had some uh personal experience where i work for an employer and and my my uh my supervisor uh was uh was a narcissist i dealt with that for for a bit and then i then i left so what would you say is the best way to handle it on, on the job leave no i mean it's the same thing as a marriage you know same thing strategies so one is leave um but you can do other things like one is you can try to do what i you know suggested before is you get a bunch of allies against the boss and start taking notes and you know form a posse and make a complaint or at least protect yourself that way Mm -hmm. or you can become a suck up to your boss and use that to manipulate the boss into giving you free stuff because you tell him oh, awesome. <laughs> and then he lets you wash his car and go home early. Uh-huh. Um, or you can tell the boss how great he is and say, you really think you should be working at corporate because that he's got a real possibility of making it to the top and you're going to help him get a job there. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm keeping it real, but that's what you do. That's kind of the yeah. Okay. It, it can be okay. very hard, though, and you know when they're when when the job market's bad and you've got a, a real demanding narcissistic boss who pounds yeah. you and steals all the credit from you, mm-hmm. and then uses it to get ahead. It can be really it's a really hard thing, and and it, but I always say you know get support because people they they use the term gaslighting a lot, and there's no research on that, but but what they'll do is make you feel like you're kind of the crazy one. Mm-hmm. You know, so you need support to ju- to to verify your sense of reality. Wow! Now, are certain cultures more prone to uh, narcissistic narcissistic behavior? 
you know, it's Yes, there are there are narcissistic differences across cultures, but it's more complicated than I than I thought. And so I'm going to give you a couple different possibilities, but I'm not going to give you a firm answer because I don't think I have it settled yet. Um, So the original idea is that you find narcissism goes with cultural individualism. So that is a cultural culture becomes more individualistic, urban, uh, single families, single individuals, uh, people living alone, people working away from home, etc. cetera, uh, the culture becomes generally more narcissistic. So in China, for example, what you see is when China became more urbanized, narcissism went up because people in rural in rural areas, the narcissism doesn't work. If you live in a small town, you're like, I'm the best. They're like, shut up. What I do? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. You know, but, oh, it, but in a big funny. city, you can, you know, you can reinvent yourself. And if you're looking okay. for careers, you're always kind of you're always kind of hustling, you're always kind of self-promoting. Uh-huh. And so and and that's what we saw in the US over time. As the US became more individualistic, we saw it. So that idea is one that I think is, you know, this individualism, individualistic cultures have more narcissism. But the other idea, which I've just seen some some friends come out with, um, is that in some of these more low trust societies, you know, classic low trust societies, which um, unfortunately we're going in that direction, which is horrifying because it's bad, but um Let's say some places in in Central Asia or um, I don't know some Middle East, but maybe more Central Asia that that you find lower levels of cultural trust. Eastern Europe versus Western Europe, there's generally lower right. cultural trust in Eastern Europe than Western Europe. Right. And so, in some of those states with lower trust, you find higher narcissism because people tend to be more almost tribal in relationships. So you you kind of you're very connected to your family group more. But you have to be more protective when you deal with other people because you just don't trust them naturally. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Right. Whereas you go to a high trust society like Japan, it just everybody trusts each other. You don't have to be is narcissistic. So I, what I guess I'm saying is I think there's different things going on, and the individualism is one piece, but there's other things as well that could make a difference, like how trusting a culture is. Mm. Do you think some people use or, or narcissists or uh, project that behavior as a defense mechanism? I, I mean, I, it's funny because you don't really see it in the research. On average, you find people are just sort of the way they are. But in real life, what you find is that there are a certain amount of people that have what we call like a narcissistic mask. They kind of act hmm. more narcissistic than they are. Okay. And people will report doing that. Sometimes it's linked more to anxiety, though, than grandiosity. It's not like the real, you know, kind of grandiose narcissist. Like, God, deep down, I'm really just putting on a show, but I'm kind of a timid little mouse. You know, Trump isn't a timid little mouse deep down. He's just, you know, kind of how he is. (laughs) But Uh, when you ask people... um, You know, there are people who are saying, like, you know, I'm kind of insecure. And I don't really know what to do. And these are usually people that are pretty, pretty well adjusted, you know, because they feel insecure. But they go, I'm going to overcome this by putting up a front that I'm sort of tough or confident 
or alpha. You know, I just right, people, right. people want to be alpha. I'm like, oh man, if you knew what alpha was, why would you want to do it? But you know, but they put that <laughs> they'll put that that front up. And uh and I think so in that way it's a it's a defense, but it's also in a sense a goal, if that makes sense. A oh, oh yeah, it does. Maybe the right. way to think about it is more of a mask or a persona where it's it's hiding some weakness, but it's also got a goal in there too. So that's something you see. And, and unfortunately, you know, what you find is uh, people who are sort of confident in their sort of dominance, confident in their alphaness, confident in their, you know, status, they're usually pretty easy to go along. Like they're not ego messed. I'm like, hey, Mike Tyson, you suck. He's not going to go off the handle. You know, it's just going to be like whatever. <laughs> you mouse. He won't care. He knows who he is, right? <laughs> right, but, right. But these guys that are putting on those masks, the people where there's kind of that gap between how they see and who they are, they're the they're the guys that get more aggressive and more unstable and more reactive when they're threatened. Okay. Now, can you, it seems like, you know, some people, I don't know if it's they're, they're attracted to narcissists or what, but obviously there are people that go from relationship to relationship. And they seem to frequently end up with a narcissist, right? Um, it, yeah. Would that be related to to what I've learned? That's called codependency. Is is that what that is? Yeah. Uh, so the the idea of codependency, it, I mean, it comes out of the sort of the social work literature, but it's the idea that you're in a relationship that's almost caregiving. So you have somebody that's like an alcoholic, and then you'll be somebody who takes care of them, and that's codependent. And so there is an idea that this happens in narcissism and there's there is some evidence for it. Sometimes you find this sort of narcissistic person who's troubled and then that the narcissist will find a codependent caregiver. So that that happens sometimes. But but overall, what you see is that people who are narcissistic, especially more grandiose, confident, you know, extroverted, charming people are very are good at starting relationships they're good at getting dates they're good at meeting people mm-hmm. they're fun to have relationships with at the beginning so they're, they're actually have they, you have enjoyable relationships with them at first and then what happens is in normal relationships we go okay we, we it was really fun now let's get serious and talk about commitment and what we're going to do and building a life together and at that point the narcissistic relationship falls apart because the narcissist isn't really interested in that. And so then they start cheating or exploiting or manipulating or whatever. Hmm. So it's, so the problem is narcissists are really attractive to everybody. And some people, especially if they get, they get, they're really attracted to that initial uh, stage of attraction. If they find that rush really appealing they end up dating narcissists over and over and over. You're trying to get that same emotion going each time. Yeah, it's right? kind of like they're going for the rush. It's I mean, I used to call it the sizzle steak problem. You know, it's they're going for the <laughs> sizzle instead of the steak, you know. And and so people that are yeah, and, and again, no judgment. I mean, that's kind of the part of the fun. But when people have that mating style or that attraction style, they're going to end up with a lot more narcissistic individuals. Mm. 
Okay. Okay. You talk about mating style, man. What is this about uh, narcissists in the animal kingdom, man? I heard you on a podcast last year where, where that came up and you said that's that's a real thing, huh? Oh, I mean, it's. I think the idea is that these narcissistic traits have to do with dominance and they have to do with acquiring mates and acquiring resources. So sort of just uh-huh. getting resources and mates quickly as possible. Yeah. And in any small group, you know, if you're in a band of primates or, you know, non-human primates, I guess, or if you're in a group of hunter-gatherers, whatever, there's 20 of us out there. And if somebody's the one who's out there, you know, jumping on everybody's mates and trying to steal everybody's food, eventually everybody gets together and just kills that person. Mm-hmm. So there's there are these what we call reverse dominance hierarchies. So in a small group, when everybody's got a spear and Keith is kind of getting out of hand, Keith's brothers are going to take him out hunting and Keith's not coming back. And we're just going to say, God, that was tragedy. You know, not a prison system, right? You just kind of take care of business. So in those groups, there's a leveling mechanism. What happens in, in, in larger societies is that same guy gets a bunch of henchmen with spears of their own and takes power from everybody. And then people can't band against them. And so you end up with these very narcissistic rulers and leaders over time. I mean, pharaohs, I mean, God kings, you get all, all sorts of things where people are, that the people leading have these incredibly inflated views of themselves. But, but that's something that we need human society for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, with my dealings with with narcissists in the past, um, several of them seem to have this dark side, right? Or, or align, literally align with the dark side um, and, and have done things to myself. And, and I've seen them do things to others as well that are just flat out, just intentional to to hurt. Can narcissists actually be evil? Is, yeah. is that fair to say? Yeah, but it's not uh, It's not like a blanket statement uh, about like anybody who's sort of narcissistic. I mean, you probably have a friend who's sort of a, you know, would have been arrogant douche. He's not evil. You know, he's probably susceptible to certain kinds of seduction, but he's, he's probably not an evil guy. But what you do find with narcissism is these darker forms um, that are sometimes termed malignant narcissism. That's what you'll often hear in the literature. Mm. And okay. and that's sort of the more more toxic or cancerous or nasty form of narcissism. It's linked to more psychopathy and sadism, you know. So the you know the people that are more grandiose, but maybe don't really mind hurting people, and also maybe kind of enjoy it sometimes. Right. And and so when you start getting in that, and if you when you start getting down that path with people that are really really on this more malignant narcissism, psychopathy side. Yeah, you can see some some evil for sure. Because the evil is put in this, I mean, evil can, a lot of people think they're doing good or very evil people. But with narcissism, um, but I, I guess to put it this way, good people are evil in groups. And, and narcissists are evil by themselves because they think they're they're better than everybody. They know more than everybody. And they get a they get a rush of power from from taking advantage of people. So yeah, it gets aligned with evil. It can be ego. Ego is very seductive. 
Could it possibly be a possession? Do you believe that 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 could be true? I, you know, I don't. I, I look. You you want to get weird? I talk to some weird people, but I haven't. <laughs> my, my my other line of work, I studied like uh, you know plant medicine and ayahuasca and stuff. So I know. I definitely yeah. want to talk about that. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about I'm that. Talk about, but no, the the possession piece that's actually very interesting, and I've never. I've actually never seen it or even encountered and I've encountered a lot. Um, so I don't know, but I do think it puts you, you know, it puts you at risk for seduction in the name of something like, like your ego. So a very clear example would be fame, you know, so people seek fame. Fame is really fun. There's a reason people want it, but it also is very fleeting. You know, you never get famous for long unless you're like Elvis. I right. mean, really, there's no one's as famous as Elvis. It just it doesn't work. And and so people who get fame, they end up kind of never having enough. And it becomes, you know, it becomes a, a compulsion they can't they can't get. And I think people I don't see people like that. But when you're in that position where you're that connected to your ego, I think you're really open to a lot of persuasion and a lot of darkness that you wouldn't necessarily be in when you're not it, it just makes you easily to be seduced to, to doing some dark things or some dark places gotcha gotcha so let's talk about your other line of work man that the ayahuasca plant medicine i learned oh sure you, yeah yeah you, you 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 do that as well and and that really resonates with me because i uh earlier this year i went on a uh I went to a ayahuasca ceremony for three three nights, which is a life changing experience for me. Where'd so, you go? Th- um, so I, I'm here in Arizona. I went uh, to Tucson, and it was a group kind of, of an underground uh, deal. I'm not. I won't ask anymore. I just wondered if you went to a lodge or it's a yeah, yeah. So a group, uh, Assembly Church uh, here in Arizona. It was about three of us: a uh, shaman and, and, his, and his team, and uh, very. <laughs> it was life changing, man. And, and, you know, listeners have heard me say this before. The best way for me to describe it is I, I literally walked with God for three nights because it was three nights outside on, under the stars, man, in, in uh, Tucson. And Can it was I just ask uh, you a couple follow ups? Do you mind? Oh, man. Yeah. Anything you want. I, absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm, a, I'm an academic. It's just how I am. So, what was it? Was it in a different, and it was it in a specific lineage and where the nights you know, sequentially like one, two, three, or where there's breaks? Um, so it was uh, one, two, three consecutive nights. So um, what we did, we we arrived at the site at about seven, eight o'clock at night and uh, just kind of hung out and talked for a bit. Uh, and the ceremony began at, at, at midnight and we were there all night and then we left at about eight in the morning. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the Phoenix area. So I, uh, I had a hotel. I would then then went to the hotel during the daytime, cut off all communications to the outside world, turned my phone off, uh, took a couple spiritual books with me. Um, I, I started fasting last year, doing intermittent fasting. And uh, so my body was primed. So I decided to to fast for three for those three days. And uh, so back at the hotel during the day, I, you know, after I got some rest, I would read my books, pray and, and meditate. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, it, it's a whole nother. I learned it's a whole nother world out there. Right. Yeah, right. It's a whole yeah. whole other world out there, man. Um, that's, it's, that's it's amazing. Really, it's really that's interesting, and that's um that's intense too. You know, three days. Yeah, hardest thing I've done in life, I, I'd say. But I tell you what, after doing that for three days, 
um, in, in the position I was in, everything I, I wanted to accomplish. I, I mean, I, I literally proved to myself I can I can do anything. Yeah, I can do anything I want. There, there, there's no limitations, man. You know, um, easier said than done. That doesn't no, mean it's going to be easy. No, but I, you, you know what I'm saying? No, I literally tell that to my kids. I'm like, no, you you don't understand. You can really do anything you want. Like, yes, literally. sorry, this is me. I'm going to just put this. This is me just talking as a guy right now, not talking as a professor. This is me as a guy. Yes. You can Absolutely. really just do anything you want. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not joking. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I tell people. And, and I, that's my saying. Yeah. I tell people anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Once you experience the spiritual world, yeah. you then come to the understanding that anything is possible, man. And yeah. It's, just, it's different, you know? It's, um, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what do you, you want to know? You want to know about my ayahuasca research? Is that what you Yeah, like? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about uh, your research it. and what you've experienced. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I'll tell you, I'll give you, it's just fun since you shared your stories. Um, so I uh, was interested in ayahuasca and psychedelics it was probably five, six years, just to, because of some research that had just happened at Hopkins, at uh, John Hopkins, looking at the ability of psilocybin, you know, what's in magic mushrooms to change mm-hmm. a personality trait called openness to experience. Basically, the idea that you could take a drug have a mystical experience, and that happened to about a third, maybe no, maybe it's two thirds of the people, and then your personality changes for for six months, a pretty long term change. And I thought, oh my god, this is the most powerful thing I've ever seen. And you know, I, I was around, and I went to Berkeley. I've been to a lot of dead shows. None of this stuff was new, but they were doing you know high doses controlled things, and so I. And I met another dude and who's a friend and uh, long story, but he'd come into town kind of with a you know, big beard from Peru as a shaman. So I talked to him about it <laughs> and got to know him and had a grad student interested. So I said, let's kind of figure this stuff out. And I thought it'd be really interesting to understand that the shamanic medicine, just because it's a really interesting question and the idea that you could change yourself that quickly. Yeah. And so... But if I were going to do research, I'm like, well, I can't, if I'm going to understand, I got to do it. But I didn't want to dive into ayahuasca ceremony because I'm a dad. So uh, my friend is like, dude, I'll I'll do a a combo ceremony with you, which is a, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's a, it's a, it's a neurotoxin, I think, or some compound that from a a frog, an Amazonian, they burn you and they rub the venom in and. They were doing that at the ceremony I went to. I didn't do it, but some people were doing it. I forgot yeah, what it's called, a, but yeah. Yeah, so the combo is something they do in, in the Amazon, and I think they do it, you know, as a purgative, you know, because it makes you throw yeah. up. And it's so I did it, and I'm like, this is kind of silly, but I'll I'll give it a shot just to see what it's like. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm in there throwing up and feeling like I'm being poisoned to death, and all of a sudden I have this vision of the, of the combo frog clear as day i mean it wow, was just a, like a, a vision and i start laughing i'm like what the fuck uh, and so i'm like what is this and the shaman goes i and he goes i can't really explain it to you think of it as a jungian archetype which is the huh. idea that we have this collective unconscious that sort of we all share that has these sort of forms and these energy forms right because right. think about it that way i'm like okay i guess it was, so it's very interesting i'm like that i so i, I kind of get where these guys are coming from because it was very interesting 
And I said, well, I don't want to do ayahuasca. He goes, well, you know, why don't you try a San Pedro ceremony? Because that, so San Pedro was a, um, you know, it's a, it's a cactus, uh, kind of a mescaline okay. compound. And it's a lot like peyote, but it's all over, you know, South America. It's all over, it's all over Arizona too. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I so I did a ceremony with that, and um, it was the most interesting thing psychologically. I, I was just unbelievable. I was just amazed. I was like, "My God, you can you can see your issues and really work at them." It's yes. like hundred years of therapy, and, uh-huh. and I've gone through psychoanalysis, like on a couch. I, like I'm weird. Like I'm from a different time. Like I, I know what that kind of heavy stuff is like, and and this was like that very quickly. It was amazing. And then I'm right. like, well, I'll do maybe you know I'll sit with this for a year, and then the next year I did an ayahuasca ceremony, and it was same same as you. I'm like, wow. I just I just I walked out of there. I was like, yeah, I've seen it. I it's just it's unbelievable. Yeah. And I I just was and I was so dumbfounded by the whole thing. And so we we published, you know, one paper on it looking at and this is a data we collected for a year and we my student Brandon um, collected for years um, in in these different centers. And we found it as this really, you know, significant effect on personality make really reduces neuroticism, which is Mm. the trait you see with uh, depression and anxiety. And also, I just literally just looking at data today and yesterday on this, it also seems to be doing the same thing with vulnerable narcissism, where the ayahuasca working on vulnerable narcissism as well. Okay. So it it has this really healing effect, but what I want to understand is the psychological effect, and nobody understands that. Like, no one's looking for that, because all the research is like, let's figure out the biochemistry, and I want to figure out what's going on in that ceremony because when i talked to the shaman about it they're working on the soul and and as a psychologist we don't work on the soul right right so their 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 mechanism of action of of, you know soul retrieval or cleaning cleaning how do they describe it cleaning like kind of ghosts cleaning debris off the off the soul Mm -hmm. you know the you know the what is it the ananda Maya Ananda Maya Kosha or whatever, you know, cleaning that 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 bo- that soul body is what their work is, and somehow what they say is, well, we're cleaning your soul. Well, that spills into your personality and changes that, and that probably fills fills into your body and your relationships and changes everything else. But they're working on the soul. But a psychologist, mm-hmm. I don't know how to put that onto my map. So it's very it's a very interesting problem. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. And I, I've seen I've seen where they've been using uh, the the mushrooms clinically now for a few years with what I would like to think success. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it. This is this stuff is to me is just it is. It's it's magic. No, I shouldn't say magic, but it is like magic. It's incredibly powerful, yeah. and. And there are people who want to do it. The problem is the legality of it. Yeah, that's the but, thing, but right? Maps is doing a really good job. They're rolling out. We, uh, my student Brandon, was just in Peru or in uh, Costa Rica last month with a group of special forces guys 
drinking ayahuasca and they all you know we haven't analyzed the data yet but it really helps you know these a lot of the special forces guys it has a huge benefit for that, that we work with yeah. uh, and those those guys are killing themselves at a very high rate right now and it's really sad yeah. and i think in a, in a very sad way it's a bit of a rush for time to get these medicines um because you you know you and i are talking we're like god oh, that ayahuasca was great walk with god <laughs> i've been by myself holy books and like people are listening like you're a freaking maniac and i'm like yeah I'm yeah man admit it. i i'm sorry i'm not i never recommend this to people i'm not recommending it to anybody <laughs> listening i just but it's but if you're a maniac it's it's a neat thing but yeah, what i've heard is this work with mdma you know which mm. the kid used to take yeah. Party drug is actually super effective with PTSD, you know, post-traumatic yeah. stress disorder, other disorders, relationships, of course, and it is apparently much more gentle. I mean, you're not, okay. you're, not you're not wading into battle with, you know, there's no there's no machine elves with MDMA. I think, and I think a drug like that or a medicine like that, and maybe. Um, you know, I, I think that in particular would be really helpful. I think mushrooms, um, I haven't done a, a heroic dose of mushrooms. I, I think, you know, except maybe when I was 16 and that didn't go well. I would recommend that. But uh, maybe you can get something like ayahuasca with mushrooms, but because they're similar. But I don't know if you can get anything more powerful than ayahuasca in that ceremonial context. I, I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I find it interesting that you said uh, Brandon uh, was in Costa Rica with some special ops guys, right? Because yeah. uh, uh, that that pod is this podcast I watched, uh, and he had some some guys on there, and um, this guy was talking about the government special ops, and I think it was actually the CIA that they do these ayahuasca. They take ayahuasca, go to the spiritual world, and they're actually mapping the spiritual world. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, I went there, man. We're out there, right? <laughs> so, the idea, um, the 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 troops. I mean, the troops are these are guys that are. I mean, these are guys PTSD, and you know, talk therapy was invented, you know, by women, kind of for women. It, it's really effective, but for people who are super ver verbal. But if you're special forces guys talk therapy isn't really designed for you uh but something like an ayahuasca journey that takes a lot of courage and preparation and is in nature and is with your comrades together in a group that's a good environment for somebody like that yeah so makes sense. Uh, yeah so that that's what I, I i think that that piece of it makes sense so but the next piece is essentially, I think what you're getting to is extended state DMT work. And I, this is the crazy idea. So, so when people enter the DMT state, and I haven't tried, you know, the synthetic, I just don't do synthetic stuff. I mean, maybe I would if somebody offered it to me in the right time. But I just generally, I'm not looking for that in my life. Um, but, you know, you take DMT in the last 10, 20 minutes, and people have these very outlandish visions yeah. and experiences and they and they it's hard to bring it back and so i've talked to people who have done it you know 100 times a couple hundred times and they go there and come back and they 
I even had one person that had done it so many times, they made a virtual reality headset. This was actually when I did a show with comedian Shane Mouse, who's a nice guy. There's a lot of DMT and was talking about it with him. And he had a VR headset that you put on and it showed, you know, the DMT realm where someone had mapped it out. So that was, um, that was how people were doing it. But then people who were a little more sophisticated said, well, why don't we use some sort of extended release model? Well, we hook you up to an IV drip of some sort, and I don't, this is out of my leg, um, where we dose the DMT so you can stay in that DMT space for hours and then you can learn to navigate it. Yeah. So instead of feeling like you're in this ayahuasca world and you just got shot out of a rocket ship and it's just turbulence and you're just like, dear God, help me live, help me live. Uh, You know, you're you're, you're just, uh, I just think just on your knees, please. Um, You know, you can can learn. I was there. Yeah, I know. You know, instead of in that state, you can learn to navigate it and kind of okay. breathe. And then people are going to say, well, is this another world? You know, so if I'm in a, if I'm in a shamanic ceremony and I'm seeing a God in the room and sometimes other people see it, but a lot of times they don't. A lot of times, I mean, I, I as in one, I'm like, didn't you say, I was like sitting there and this, this God was in the room. I'm like, you didn't see it. right there, man. The most beautiful thing. I'm like crying. I'm like, it's the most beautiful thing ever in the world. And you missed that. God, oh. really? Uh, and so, you know, so it's like that kind of, that's kind of stuff that gets really weird. Um, uh, you know, with the psychedelics, they're saying like, well, can we stabilize this environment and try to understand it? And try to get in, and and this is where I'm guessing they're going is well, what are these machine owls? Maybe we can make contact with them. <laughs> Maybe they can help us beat the Russians, you know. And th- and I don't know. I um I'm not a yeah. What should I say? I I've had a very interesting life. But I'm not you know I'm not down any rabbit holes. But I've I've talked to people at DARPA and you know I've been to CIA. I talk to people. They're all normal, nice people. You know all these. You, know, you these, sure about that, man? <laughs> oh, I mean, everyone I've talked to, nice guys, people doing stuff in dark, but nice guys. Probably just somebody said, well, let's just see if we can map the, they probably call it, you know, X mapping. The, they have some weird acronym. And yeah. I, mean, I have no idea, but that, I don't know. But that, I think, is what you're getting at, is that idea right. of people trying to. So if, so if you think about it more historically, what happened? Well, Stanislav Grof, who was the, you know, sort of the great LSD researcher, and I think Czechoslovakia, if I could be wrong, Eastern Europe, in the 50s and 60s, who really did the groundbreaking work, he tried to map the LSD realm. And what he ended up with was, he said, I came up with the yogic realm. He ended up sort of ending up in a yogic tradition. A lot of the people in the 60s, you know, the, the classic example being Richard Alpert, who became Ram Das, went into psychedelics and then ended up in the yoga realm. So you can listen to him talking about what we're talking about is the ayahuasca realm. And he's talking about the astral plane and the yoga tradition and saying, if you're going to blow through that, you need to get to the next level. Um, so a lot of people map it that way. The other way they map it is they end up going to the Carl Jung's map. So Carl Jung, that you know, the sort of Swiss psychiatrist who really understood this idea of 
collective unconscious, and he built a map of the depth unconscious or the deep unconscious based on alchemy and mythology. So a lot of people go to that map, and that's the map I kind of fall back on just because that's all I got as a psychologist. And then these other people are like, well, let's just map the damn thing. So let's send a bunch of psychonauts in there with tools, and we'll just start taking pictures and see what's out here. And I think that's what's going on. That is. But no one invited me, so I don't know. I, well, nobody invited you. You weren't invited to the party. Now, no. why would they? Why would they be doing that? Why in the world would they be doing that? Um, I think people, you know, I, I, I guess you know, we're just talking, so. When people came to the new world, tobacco was this really sacred plant, beautiful, sacred plant. You know, shamans say it's more sacred than ayahuasca master plant in, in, in Peru. And that probably extends to, uh, you know, Siberian shamanism from the Ice Age. Ancient, powerful stuff. Right. So they came and said, why don't we cut it up, mass market it and mix it with a bunch of chemicals and sell it to surfs, you know, and we'll get them addicted to it seriously that was your first thought and you know and then they you go you discover psychedelics and i i run into ayahuasca and like you obviously had it had an incredibly profound life altering experience that made me question the entire nature of reality so i thought well you know what's interesting about that is i just want to understand what god is and the soul and the self and how this all works because it wasn't the way i thought and i'm pretty smart um and everyone else thought is, my God, we could market that and then sell it to people and then have them change themselves and we'll, and we'll make some money from it. Mm. And I'm like, well, that, I get that. I'm an American, but I think that's what happens. And then somebody goes, my God, this, this psychic, you know, this DMT allows you to see this realm and everybody sees the same stuff and it's the weirdest thing. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen that. I saw the machine elves once. And I was like, oh my God, I know exactly what they are. It's hilarious. What is it? It's insane. I mean, it's just I've never, weird. I, I've heard other people talk about it, but I, I didn't see that. No. <laughs> funny. I was like, what the hell? It's hilarious. These guys aren't lying about it. But so everyone sees the same thing. And so somebody, some guys like, well, why don't we just go in there and map it? And then we'll just start putting our flag and claiming territory and chopping it up into parts. And maybe we'll sell it to the Russians or, you know, so <laughs> that's just what they do. It's, it's, it's just the nature of humans and all the money flow goes to the people who want to chop it into parts and the people who want to figure out the soul don't get any money unless they become gurus. And then they have to be kind of psychopaths who are worse than the capitalists. And a narcissist, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and, and the problem with this, you know, and it's funny, we're talking about the ayahuasca and you can see when we're talking about God and you could see if you said, I don't understand it. And I said, well, I'm Keith Campbell. I'm a, I'm a guru. I'm a shaman. You know, I, I studied. I understand it. I could get you to believe anything because hmm. people are confused. And people look for somebody who has answers and, and people who think they have answers stand up and take it. And right back where you, you have, you have this, this beautiful, you know, this kind of beautiful, uh, um, you know, spiritual world that just gets taken over by narcissism. Wow. Well, I, I certainly hope that 
plant medicine, uh, specifically ayahuasca. I'm obviously biased towards that. Uh, will one day be used to to help people? You know, um, specifically, uh, maybe it can help. I know you said it's being used to help the vulnerable narcissists, and uh, I would love to see that one day. Uh, just really take off, man. I hope we can see that one day in, in my lifetime, in our lifetime at least. So that'd be cool. That'd definitely be cool. I'll tell you that the nice thing that might make it happen is it's so scary that they, it will keep the numbers down, but other people will be drawn to things that are like the MDMA or things that are a lot more gentle. And I think you're going to help a lot of people and they're going to start stop screwing up their families and then they won't raise a generation of screwed up people and everything gets a little better. That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. You know, just kind of shift the gears. I know we start off talking about narcissism and, and we kind of went to ayahuasca, spiritual world type stuff. I want to kind of go back because I forgot to ask you to um, tell me specifically what is, uh, you know, I think you mentioned the gaslighting. You mentioned it, you know, uh, earlier, but uh, can you kind of, you know, go yeah. with that? Um, gaslighting is this, it's, it's become a really popular term and I hate to say it, but there's no real research on it. But what it means, it comes from this movie where a guy wanted to make his wife feel like she was going crazy. So he'd manipulate the lights in the house, turn the gas lights up right. or down, and she'd say, the lights down? He'd go like, no, you must be going crazy. Everything's the same. And so it's an example of what you see with people who are narcissistic or otherwise manipulative, where they will make you feel like you're the crazy one. Like, why are you saying I'm crazy for to do that? I'm totally normal. You must be the crazy one. And so they start making you think you're crazy. And so the cure for gaslighting is you need a network of people that say, hey, hey, Keith, you're not the crazy one. Like, mm -hmm. where's he? What's going on? He's the crazy one. She's the crazy one. You're not the crazy one. So that, that gaslighting can be a, a way of destabilizing you in a relationship and allows the narcissist to, to exploit you. Okay. How about word salads? I've heard that term a few times as well. What was that? Word, word salad is a term you, you hear more with uh, schizophren schizophrenia. Um, okay. It's when people start jumbling. Where it's a great. It's, I'll tell you a story though about it. I was I was fishing in a in in Christmas Island in the island nation of Kiribati, which has great fly fishing for bonefish. And uh, I was talking to, to some of the locals and they, they said they had a professor on the island who was a genius and he sold his book out of a store. And so I went and found his book and it was the linoleum conspiracy of the elliptical perpetuity of the nature of the, you know, trundling beast. It was just what? word salad. Yeah. <laughs> word salad, right? It didn't word make any salad. sense. It was a right. bunch of words strung together, kind of mixed, tossed together like a salad. But because he was in, you know, the island nation of Kiribati and, you know, people were like, God, he must know what he's talking about because it doesn't make any sense to us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's a bunch, whole, whole bunch of nothing, huh? Yeah, whole bunch of nothing. But it's <laughs> but that's something more you see with with uh with, with schizophrenia or, or else, you know, cognitive deterioration. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, man. Hey, I definitely want to thank you for being a guest on the Hidden Gateway podcast, man. This has been a, a excellent conversation, man. You, you're uh, definitely full of knowledge and, and wisdom. And I definitely believe that uh, some of the things you said uh, will, will definitely help some people out there. And that, that that's what we want. Right. So um, one last question for you. Yeah. I ask every guest to 
um, leave our listeners with what I like to call a token of love, just something that they can take with them going forward. And, and what do you mean by that? I'm into it. I'm into this idea, but I'm not sure what the token of love would be. Um, just a gift, a gift to the listeners. Based off your experience and your research, your knowledge, it can be anything. Anything. anything? So, for for example, I was I was looking at your Twitter, right, and I saw a yeah. post where you, you said, "My brother just sent me this old photo from Indo to remind me how thin and impoverished the modern psych has become." I think yeah. plant medicine can help recover some of life rich, richness. Yeah. Life is meant to be awesome. Yeah, and that that just really that was awesome. That was awesome. Oh, I really good. resonated. Yeah, you know what? I'll give you, I'll give you some advice because I've been thinking about a little. Because I'm getting a little old now and I'm reflecting. Um, okay. I. Everything that's good that's happened out of my life uh, came when I took risks. And everything I did that turned out good took courage. Whether it, mean, whether it mean, meant, you know, asking my wife out or drinking a cup of ayahuasca in some, you know, undisclosed location uh, or, you know, making an investment that was real scary. A lot of bad things came out of taking risks, too, believe me. You know, I've ended up on the wrong side of a gun in a bad country. And it's just, you know, bad stuff happens. But the point is, if you don't take them, you're never going to know. So I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And I see a lot of fear around me. And I keep thinking if you can walk through fear, your life is a lot better on the other side. Bam. And it doesn't yes. matter. You just got to lean into it. It always works out if you lean into it. Always, right? Every yeah, single it's the nature of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I always say, God places the best things in life on the other side of fear. And that totally aligns with the last part of what you said, man. So, yeah, thank you. I, I, But that that is absolutely true. And it's young people, old people, the whole thing is, but you've got to lean in because the second you stop leaning in, you're just scared and you're just at home and you, and it never makes, you can never make the fear go away. So you might as well lean into it. Yeah. Learn how to control it, deal with it. And you can go around, you have to go through it. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So tell, tell our listeners where they can find you online. Obviously your website, right? What's, what's the address? Yeah. WKeithCampbell.com. Uh, I do tweet sometimes at WKeithCampbell. I'm a terrible self-promoter, but I do <laughs> do too on Twitter sometimes because I like <laughs> some of those people. Yeah. 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 And obviously the book too, the new science. Of oh, Narcissism. sorry. Yeah. New science of narcissism. Check out your local bookseller. Yeah. Great book, people. Great book. Help them out. All right. All right. All right, Keith, we want to thank you again for being a guest on the Hidden Gateway podcast. This has been great. And to the listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hidden Gateway podcast as well. Please remember, stay connected with us at hiddengateway.com. You can join the conversation on Instagram as well. And this will conclude this week's episode. Till next time, stay positive, stay questioning, be loved, and be free. The Hidden Gateway, out.